0: Good to see everybody, and uh, what a, a beautiful day uh, it is to be able to be here together. Well, uh, today we start a new series, uh, as you can see from the screen behind me or on your screen at home. Again, welcome those who are online. And this series is called Echoes from Exodus, and I'm looking forward to, to all that God has in store uh, for us. The book of Exodus is by far, one of the most famous in all of the Hebrew scriptures. The story of God's people being delivered from oppression in Egypt has been popularized in movies. No doubt you've seen at least one of them. So there's the, the Charleston Heston Ten Commandments. How many of you have seen that one? How many of you saw the movie several years ago, Gods and Kings? Anybody? Uh, okay, yeah. How about Prince of Egypt from DreamWorks? Yeah, that's my favorite one. I, that's, I love that one but it's not the popularity of the book that is, makes it so appealing in my view. The book of Exodus not only tells a story of how God delivered the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt and to the brink of the promised land, but in this grand story, we hear echoes. We hear echoes of God's redemptive work as God redeems his people of Israel, and then how we see God's redemptive work being completely and perfectly fulfilled in Jesus. So let's get started. I invite you to turn or launch your Bibles to uh, Exodus chapter 1. And we'll be reading uh, Exodus 1, uh, 1 through 22. And so let me invite you to, to go ahead and turn there, and I'll read the text for us. These are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob each with his family, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. The descendants of Jacob's numbered se- Jacob numbered 70 in all. Joseph was already in Egypt. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in number, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pithom and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor and brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shipra and Pua, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that a baby is a boy, kill him but if it's a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. That's quite quite an answer, isn't it? So God was kind to the midwives and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. The word of God for the people of God. Now, I think you would agree with me. That is quite a passage of scripture and it's brimming with tension. We find a new Pharaoh that is threatened by the way the Israelites are growing in numbers and in strength. We find brutal oppression and evil as he issues a massive genocidal order. We find the first case in the Bible of civil disobedience as the Hebrew midwives defied the order of Pharaoh to kill the baby boys. And this is quite an opening and foreshadowing for the incredible drama that will unfold in the rest of the story, that will unfold For us in this series throughout the summer but notice something in this first chapter with the exception of the brief reference of god being kind to the midwives there's no mention of god in this opening chapter as a matter of fact god doesn't really show up until the last few verses of chapter two so chapter one then begs the question where is God. Well, if you like taking notes, let me invite you to take out your teaching notes if you find them helpful. And I would like to explore this angle, this this question this morning from just two angles. And the first one of this, where is God in your journey or in your story? The book of Exodus is not really intended to be read or studied in isolation. It is a continuation of what started in Genesis 1-1 with the creation account and goes all the way until God's people are on the brink of the promised land that we read about at the end of Deuteronomy. And one little interesting tidbit. In Hebrew, the book actually begins with the word and, A-N-D, as opposed to the way the NIV translates it. And so you can imagine reading through Genesis and then the first word in Exodus is and, which reminds us that this is a continuation of a grand story. Exodus is about a people, the Israelites who were given a special identity by God, a people who entered into a special covenant relationship with God and their primary mission in the world, the primary mission of the Israelites was to be a vessel of God's glory so that all nations would worship the one true God. And the surrounding nations were intended to see a people of faithfulness, of character, of worship, and of trust. And the bottom line what that we'll see with the Israelites is that they were God's people, and God was theirs, and when all else is stripped away, when everything else is stripped away, as we can see here in the opening verses of chapter one all they had was God and as we'll see as the book unfolds all they need is God let me just ask you a quick question have you has your life ever gotten to that point when everything important to you was stripped away and you said you know what I think almost all I have is God you know sometimes it's in those moments that we realize All we need is God. And then God continues to build our lives back from that kind of point. So first and foremost, the book of Exodus is a story between God and his people and how in his tender mercy and in his sovereignty, God redeemed his people out of their oppression. Now, we wouldn't be true to the story if we didn't acknowledge that the Israelites were not always faithful. They were not always trusting. They were not always loving. They were not always true to their special identity. They were not always true to their call to be a vessel of glory to the nation so that all nations would worship God. And part of the story that continues right through to today and is part of our story is that one day, God would send the one true perfect Israelite and his name was Jesus. And he would be the perfect vessel for God's glory, and he would call all the nations to worship God, and he would die for the people, Jew and non-Jew alike. Just as the events in Exodus shape the identity and the story of the Israelites, the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus shapes the identity and the story of the Christian. It's why when we gather, just as we did last week, on the first month, and we observe the, the, the Holy Communion. We observe uh, the, the bread and we observe the cup. We remember the life and the death and the ministry of our Lord. We remember that because of him, we were liberated from the oppression of sin and we passed through the waters of baptism into our freedom. It's part of our identity and it forms the stories we tell. Have you ever thought about the many aspects of your life that drive your identity? I was in a a courtyard conversation this past week and most of the participants, or one of the participants asked the others, where do they consider home? And most of us around that circle were from places other than Virginia. Most of us in this room are transplants to this area. Some said they feel like Virginia is now their home. Others said where, uh, the, where they were from originally. And what struck me as people were going around and saying where they're from, and I kind of waited till the end, what struck me in this is that I normally answer that question, Virginia. I've lived in Virginia 34 out of my 58 years. Born in North Carolina, moved away from North Carolina at 18, then to Virginia, a few years in Minnesota, and then back here. I normally say Virginia, but for some reason, this time on this question, I was stumped because I didn't want to not say North Carolina. So for some reason this time, this question was not about the address on my driver's license. This question was about part of my identity that I do not want to let go of. I don't know, I think it's the sweet tea, I think it's the hush puppies. Alan, you're going to love them. Or it's the pork soaked in vinegar. But I could not give up my identity as a Tar Heel in that moment, in that conversation. The point is there are a lot of different aspects of our lives that make up who we are. Our relationships, spouse, parent, child, friend, our work, our hobbies, you name it. For the Christian, the driving identity is that of a follower of of Jesus. When we come to faith in Christ and we take him to the very center of our being, he transforms how we think about ourselves. In the Bible, we are called his brothers and sisters. We are called children of God, and we are to be vessels of God's glory and goodness in the world. And when we become a Christian, our Christian identity doesn't erase our nationality it doesn't erase our ethnicity it doesn't erase who we are as a parent as a brother as a spouse as a child or a friend it doesn't take those away but it transforms those aspects of who we are and they are pressed through the lens of what it means to be a follower of Jesus the identity in Christ is that identity that supersedes all others but also gives life and energy and new perspective and transformative power to all the other relationships and that sense of identity we have. Galatians 3:28, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. So what does this have to do with where God is in your story? Well, Exodus is about God's people, the Israelites, and the stories of divine intervention for miraculous rescue and deliverance forged their identity. These stories were told over and over and over. They're still told over and over and over in synagogues today to help the Israelite be true to their sense of identity. Your identity as a Christian shapes the stories you tell about your life. Let me say that again. Your identity as a Christian should shape the stories you tell about your life. And as you remember them and as you tell them, your identity in Christ is strengthened. Just as the people of Israel have an exodus deliverance story, in Christ you have an exodus deliverance story. You've been rescued and redeemed. You've been rescued from the power and the oppression of sin and death. From time to time, I'll, I'll ask us to just take a look at this uh, graph that I've placed on the screens here for us. and It's, it's simply a, a, a way to think about your spiritual journey. So we all have a date at which we were born, or on which we were born, right? And then at some point, after we start growing, we start to have these big questions, which is represented by the question marks. And often these questions come in the form of, you know, who am I? Who is God? What happens when I die? And so forth. We just start asking big questions. At some point in our spiritual journey, by God's grace, we hear the story of the cross. We hear the story of Jesus and how Jesus came to the earth to die for the sins of humankind and that if we take him into the center of our being by faith that we will be liberated and oppressed from sin and death. And then the rest of that graph sort of gives us this idea of what it means to grow into the character and the image of Jesus because the amago day is Latin for image of God. Because after Christ comes into our life, that's the business, that's the work of the Holy Spirit in your life is to make you more and more like the image of God. And one of the things I like to ask people is when you take a look at that spiritual journey, just take a pencil or a pen, draw it out yourself, take a pencil or a pen, and where are you? Are you asking these big questions? Have you heard about the message of Jesus, but you've not yet taken him into the center of your being? So you're at the, the, the front of that cross. You've not yet crossed the line of faith. Or are you just on the other side of faith, and you've crossed the line of faith, but you've yet to grow as a disciple of Jesus? Or so, Where are you on that spiritual journey? And so let me encourage you uh, to jot that down if you want. Um, and and, and may, it doesn't have to be a perfect picture. And just place where you are on that journey and then use that to ask yourself a few questions about your life story. Where are you from? I think we all know probably where we're from, right? How would you describe your spiritual journey of your family growing up? When did you first remember becoming spiritually curious? What are the questions that you now have if you're not a Christian that keep you from pursuing faith? Or if you are a Christian, how did you come to faith What has your journey been like since you've become a Christian? How is your life different because of Jesus? What are some of the questions that you continue to pursue so that you can grow to be more and more like him? Ask those questions, and you'll find out that, wow, that's the the content of my story, my story of faith. And so an activity for you to consider this week at home is write the story of your faith. Include how you hope the next few chapters will unfold. And I'll just ask you, I would be honored to read your story if you do write it. Keep it confidential between me and you. But I would love to hear about your story of faith. Trust me, as you write this down and as you remember and retell and tell this story to your kids, your grandkids, your, your nieces, your nephews, it will strengthen your faith. It will strengthen your journey. So one of the great echoes from Exodus for us today is that those who are in Christ have a liberation and deliverance story. And we'll hear more about this throughout the series. The second question we have to ask when we read the first chapter of, of Exodus, and it'll, it'll come up over and over, is where is God in your suffering and pain? I mean, you can't read that opening chapter without thinking, oh my goodness, where is God here? Exodus opens by describing a horrible time of pain and suffering for the Israelites. Under a different Pharaoh, they found favor in the events of the life of Joseph. But now they're under a rule the rule of a different Pharaoh who didn't care about Joseph and who was jealous of their size and their strength. He oppressed them through backbreaking work, yet they still grew in size and strength. And then he issued a most evil and genocidal decree. Let me hit the pause button for a second. You know, seasons in life change, don't they? You know, for a while, the people of Israel were doing well under one Pharaoh who knew Joseph. But now something changed. What was once a safe haven for Israel now became a place of oppression and bondage and evil. The same can happen in our lives. Things can change. A good job, a good relationship, a harmless hobby can turn and become toxic and become oppressive. That good job elevated to an unhealthy place in your life becomes a little g-god. That good relationship at first that seems to be going so well can turn into an unhealthy dependence and if you're not careful, pull you away from the side of God. That harmless hobby can become a menacing distraction to that which is important in your life. Seasons change and we've got to be ready to be tethered to God as those seasons change. As the, Hit the play button again. As the Israelites experienced this oppression and the evil, they had to wonder where is god this question of where is god in a time of pain and suffering is one that has crossed the minds and the lips of god's people throughout history it was a question that job asked we see the question running through the Psalms. psalm 73 is just fascinating it tells the plight of the psalmist who is struggling mightily with god to the psalmist it seems that the wicked and the arrogant have prevailed have you ever thought that while wow, those who are far from God, they just seem to be prevailing in every area of life while maybe I'm struggling. Have you ever wondered that? Yet even as the psalmist struggles with God, he acknowledges the presence of God. 73, 1-3, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. In other words, what the psalmist is saying is, I was really wailing on you, God. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you will take me into your glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire but you. My flesh and my heart may fail, But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Wow. God can handle your question, where are you, God? In the depth of your suffering, in the depth of your pain, God can handle that question. Take it honestly. Take it to God just as forcefully as the psalmist did. Take it with a sliver of faith that God is there. C.S. Lewis wrote extensively about the problem of pain and suffering. And he said, my paraphrase, after all the theories and after all the theological explanations, it still takes faith. It takes faith to believe that God is working and God is present even when it seems that God is absent. After 30 years of ministry and walking with people through some of the most gripping moments of pain, I've noticed that a time of pain and suffering also leads people to ask questions about God that we may have never considered when things were going well and I'm convinced if we hold on to that sliver of faith as we wonder about God's presence that he will take us even deeper into the mystery of his presence and his tender mercy but no matter what when you ask this question be assured that God is working notice here in the chapter God worked through those midwives as they disobeyed the king's decree. And as chapter 2 unfolds, we'll see God working and preparing the way for their redemption. As painful as the time seemed, and as silent as God may have seemed, to this day, to this day, devout Jews start their story of deliverance here. And they tell the story over and over. They start in a time when it seemed that God was silent. May it be that way for each of us as we experience those painful times when we ask the question, where is God? God is working. It may be deep in the background, but know that God will not leave you and God will not forsake you. Let us hold on to the faith of knowing that one day we will see clearly how God was working and how God delivered. May we stand with the psalmist and declare, my flesh and my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Next week, we'll start with Exodus chapter 2. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for the opportunity to learn this historic story again. We've heard it over and over, some of us. Maybe some of us are hearing it for the first time. Lord God, as we hear this story of your people being delivered in Exodus, may we also hear the echoes of the way that you have come to us and delivered us in Christ Jesus and by Christ Jesus. And so God, I pray that you would open our hearts and Lord that that we would yield our life story to you once again. Lord, for those who have not yet come to faith in you, Lord, I pray that You would open their hearts so that they would make you the centerpiece of their life story. The redemption story can start for them, Lord, in a real way today as you started it so long ago. Lord, for those of us who are followers of you, remind us of how we need to be tethered to you daily, walking with you. And that, Lord, when... Things are difficult when our lives go through pain and struggle. Remind us, oh God, that you and your portion is what we need. So God, we open our hearts, we open our lives, we open our stories to you today. And do with them as you will and according to your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to uh, close our service today or actually pastor brian's going to come and share highlights and and all that after we sing uh a closing hymn together let me invite you to stand and let's sing uh the great great hymn uh blessed assurance